0: This is Russell Peters, and you're listening to P.F.'s Tape Recorder.
1: Hello there,
2: I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's Ms.
1: Pat. And so, I was just, you know, I was a kid, raising kid, trying to figure... Myself. Then I turned around, I had to drop out of high school. I had to drop out of school because I had two kids. I mean, I really didn't have nobody to, to take care of two kids while I'm in eighth grade or ninth grade.
2: We're we'll more from Ms. Pat in just a bit. Song of the week is from No Carrier, but we're going to start things off with a dumb bit, one of our most popular ones. Now it's time for another installment of...
1: It's Facebook, not Factbook.
2: Bit of a strange one this week. And, well, actually, aren't they all strange, really, when you think about it? Uh, going through the Facebook feed, and I see this picture of a house with an American flag painted on the roof. And the bottom of the meme says, This guy's neighbors asked him to remove the American flag from his front yard because it offended them. So he showed them and painted a flag right on top of his roof. What do you think of that? And, you know, what I, think? I think that probably didn't happen... So uh, it took me about twice as long to figure this one out as it usually does, oh, about five minutes. And uh, there is a partial truth to this, and it's a little hard to follow, but see if you can uh, follow along with me here. Okay, so uh, this did actually happen, sort of. Uh, If you go over to Snopes, you find the story of a guy that painted his whole house an American flag, which is even better than just painting the roof, I think. Uh, and he painted one quarter of one wall with the uh, stars and then the other three quarters with the stripes and the rest of the house with the stripes, so it's a big American flag. He did this because his homeowners association, which he signed to be a part of, I would like to, rec- I'd like to uh, note there, uh, his homeowners association said he couldn't put up a flag or couldn't put up a flag. Or there was some kind of controversy with the flag, and it, according to his homeowners association, he didn't follow the rules. And so he got irritated and he painted the whole house a flag. Okay. So, it was no liberals not liking the flag. It was a homeowner's association that he inked uh, himself and agreed to. That was the the controversy. Now, the house in question here uh, is actually located in Maine, and it was this thing was posted by a guy called Unapologetic American, uh, and then it was reposted by a friend of mine from high school, the guy I used to work with over there at the drug mart. And uh, I, I w- was going to call him Idiotic American, but uh, I went over and saw the original post, and someone finally corrected him. First of all, the, the guy that corrected him said hey this looks like it's photoshopped oh no it's in south dakota i've seen it well there's another house in south dakota that does have the roof uh painted with an american flag and but the story behind this this is the crazy part it 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 gets so much better here here the the story behind it is so well let me let liberal abc news explain what's going on finally from us our person of the week we mentioned earlier that almost eight in ten americans say september 11th change their personal outlook in a lasting way. Well, one man's transformation is on display for all the world to see. His response to 9-11 was to undertake a pilgrimage to all 50 states and to make a lasting impression.
1: I'm a crazy New York City artist living in America and I pretty much have more freedom than most people do in the entire world. I'm excited, this one's gonna be nice.
2: When New York City artist Scott Labedo looks at a roof what he sees is a canvas a canvas he fills with his unabashed affection for the yeah flag. so this fellow's name is Scott Lovedo and he is a native <laughs> New Yorker and he That's was so thing. moved by the tragedy of September eleventh, 2001 that he decided to go across the country and paint an American flag on the roof of one building in at least all of the fifty states I mean so at least one flag uh, you know across all fifty states okay so, So the picture that's in the actual meme is the one from Maine. It's not the one in South Dakota like um, Unapologetic American thought it was. But Unapologetic American, he actually appreciated being corrected. And I posted under, I said, you know, the real story is actually so much more patriotic than the BS made-up one that you just jumped on. You know, this made-up thing, liberals hate America, we'll show them. When here, the real story is this guy was so moved and is so patriotic in his heart that he went across the country, traveled to all 50 states to paint flags On the roof of buildings, so it's it's just crazy, 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 crazy. And I was almost going to say, as I always say in these cases, is that you know uh, these these memes. You know, my liberal friends post them, my conservative friends post them, and my my liberal friends bat about seven fifty. And uh, one of my liberal friends, who remain nameless, I don't want to embarrass her, uh, posted a meme that said that the NRA convention was very safe this year because they banned weapons from being inside the facility. And I looked it up, and that's a big false. That's not even partially true. You have all the guns you want at the NRA convention. So, but most of the time, you'll find, uh, uh, maybe it's just coincidence, I don't know, but the progressive memes, first of all, I don't trust memes, that's the first thing uh the don't trust memes but if you do you know the progressive ones usually mostly true the conservative ones usually mostly false but there's been a big campaign i've noticed on facebook maybe maybe uh this is this bit has inspired people uh for folks to look things up before you post them because you're doing a disservice to add to the disinformation because remember kids
1: it's facebook not factbook
2: Ms. Pat is a stand-up comedian originally from Atlanta, GA. She now lives in Indianapolis, Indiana, but tours all over the country, filling up theaters and comedy clubs and making appearances on TV and such. Here now is our interview with Ms. Pat.
1: Hello.
2: Hello, Ms. Pat.
1: Hey, sweetie.
2: Hey, how you doing? Good.
1: Yes, uh... Sorry for the inconvenience. that was
2: in Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Um, we spoke years and years ago. I believe it was probably for um Cleveland Scene. I'm guessing, uh, when I was writing for them. So, uh, but it's been a long, long time. Uh, but uh, you're still um you're still living in Indianapolis, correct?
1: Unfortunately, yes, I live
2: here. Would you rather be living in Los Angeles or New York, or do you st- still enjoy the Midwest?
1: I like the Midwest, but I rather be in Atlanta. That's where I'm
2: from. Oh, okay. It is what it is. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, Atlanta's really nice.
1: I'm a Southern girl.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. That's why. Well, yeah, I can hear a little bit of the uh, the accent. Well, let me ask you: When you're in Indianapolis, um, oh, let me ask you another question real quick. Is it okay if I use the audio of this for my podcast? Oh, I don't care. Okay, cool. Anyway, <laughs> um. In Indianapolis, I know a couple of people up there that work in the comedy scene up there. Do you ever pop in and do any, uh, you know, guest spots at like uh, uh, Morty's or what's the other one up there? Um, I can't remember. There's there's the one on... Crackers? That. Yeah, Crackers. You said do I do any
1: guest spots there? Yeah. Do you ever pop in? Yeah, I pop into Morty's all the
2: time. That's okay. my uh, home club. Okay. That's uh, where my friend Jim Lugers, uh, he works out of. I don't know if you know him.
1: Yeah,
2: I know, I know, Jim. You know, Jim. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, there you go. It's like talking to a friend of a friend. Then, um, yeah, Jim and I uh, mm-hmm. used to work together down here in Cincinnati, uh, where I am at. But um, let's g- uh, getting back to you. I know a lot of people are kind of familiar with your story, but um, you've led a w- w- we'll call an interesting life. I would say.
1: Uh yeah, pretty interesting. <laughs> they say. <laughs> so it was
2: the norm where I came from. Oh, so you you grew up in Atlanta. Uh, you were saying, yep. And then born and
1: raised in Atlanta.
2: Okay, and then uh, when you were very young, you had your first child.
1: Yeah, my first kid
2: at fourteen, my second kid at fifteen. And uh, so, how did you go from there, though, to getting into comedy? Like, even when you were younger, did, were you interested in entertainment as well, or did, were you funny around your friends and family, or how how did that connection come about?
1: I wasn't in. I wasn't interested in entertainment. Believe it or not, my life was already full of entertainment. <laughs> Having two kids at fifteen, you full of hey, your life is full of entertainment.
0: <laughs> oh, all bet. At,
1: at the time, I just didn't have an audience to laugh at me.
2: Ah, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then, um... so
1: no, I was never interested in, in entertainment. I, I just made a bunch of. I made a bunch of mistakes in life, and people just kept telling me that my. My, when I tell these stories about my life, people just kept saying that they're funny, and I was like, I don't think they're funny. And I started to kind of pay attention to it. I said it is funny because nobody else, you know, nobody else really lived like that. Who I t- told these stories to, yeah. And I just started to think of the stories and pull in the what I thought was funny. Which I just de- I just started to pull out what was pain to me, and I wanted to get over these things, so I started to laugh
2: at it. Uh, well, yeah, they say that's you know uh, the quote the cliche laughter is the best medicine, and they and you know as either Steve Allen or Carol Burnett said, no one can narrow down who said it first. Uh, Tragedy plus time equals comedy. So I guess it's probably helpful from that exactly. aspect. Yeah. So you said you made uh, a lot of mistakes, um, with, like. Uh, Criminal stuff, or was it personal stuff? What kind of uh, things?
0: Uh...
1: I was criminal and personal. You know, I sold, I sold, I sold drugs after I had my second baby because I wasn't even old enough to get a job, and so I was just, you know, I was a kid raising kid, trying to figure shit out, trying to figure shit out myself.
2: And were you living And like, you know, then I
1: turned around, I had to drop out of high school. I had to drop out of school because I had two kids. I mean, I really didn't have nobody to, to take care of two kids yeah. while I'm in eighth grade or ninth grade. So I just left school and tried, and you know, my survival skills kicked in.
2: And how long did you do that?
1: Well, um, probably about five years, I think. Wow. Four or five years? About four or five years
2: okay and so but you your life kind of got turned around uh when you met someone
1: when i met my husband my life got turned around he wasn't a drug dealer no he was a good guy just got out of the military you know had his stuff together right and uh he definitely wasn't he wasn't what i was used to in a man no, you know, I was used to dealing with somebody who punching you your high every Friday, you know huh. who's the you but trying to run and tell you he loves you after good old ass whipping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm That's sorry, That's what baby. I was used to.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um so how did you meet your husband? Where how did he come into your life?
1: Um, my uh my sister in law went to school with his brother, so we all went out to a comedy show one night.
0: Oh.
1: Like and that. and Bruce Bruce was hosting and he was standing in front of me. I mean, he was sitting in front of me, so my words was, hey, fat Boy, you want to split some wings? <laughs> he wasn't even fat. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, who the hell you calling fat? Huh. Oh, you want to split some wings? So we went in on the wings, and I did the most ghetto crap. I ate up all the wings, then I wanted to complain. Huh. And he was like, but you ate the wings? I was like, I don't give a fuck. They'll give your money back. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "No, nah, I don't do that. I you pay for the wings." <laughs>
2: so that your opening line was, "Want to share some wings?" Huh? Your opening line with him was, "You want to share some wings?"
1: Yeah, I was like, "Hey, Pat boy, you want to share some wings?" <laughs> he's like, "Who
2: the hell are you calling fat?" So how long before the after that were you guys dating? Did he say, "I got to get me some more of this," uh, or
1: how did that? Um, no, he used to rob me. He used to come by and visit. And um, I was getting addicted from an apartment. And he was like, look, I can't keep taking you to for your daddy. I'll just get you an apartment. And I was like, for real? And he got me an apartment, and it was history after that. Oh, I wow. mean, everything just moved forward.
2: Wow. That's pretty cool. And then <laughs> and then the family increased uh, once you were together with him, as I recall.
1: It did. Uh, a couple of months after, my sister was on crack, and we took in her four kids. So we ended up, I met a guy with no kids. And gave him six kids within six months. Oh, my God. <laughs> and not one of them was his.
2: And it, it, But he, he was unfazed by that. He, he just went with it. He
1: just went with it. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> those, those were my nieces, and I didn't want to split them up. No. So he helped me raise them. And he also helped me raise my two kids. I, whatever. Mm, it wasn't until about six years later that I gave birth to our first child.
0: Uh, okay
2: so um so how many children do you have total i mean including all your nieces and nephews. four. Now I
1: two, two, have uh, two by him and two uh two from a previous previous, okay. previous relationship
2: okay and then the your four nieces and nephews uh, i guess most of them are growing up now because it's probably been a little while oh
1: yeah they're all grown now okay yeah they're all grown well we had them for 10 years and their mom came and got them oh that's good but, um, yeah they was with
2: us for 10 years so, so your sister's doing better then
1: Hell no. Nah. That's a whole other story. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> she did the kids like, like my mom did her. They all got on drugs and all that old crazy shit.
0: Oh, no. So She
1: took four wholesome girls and turned them into hoes.
2: Oh, jeez. So, well,
1: how did you... She just kept the cycle going. Like everybody, yeah, yeah. The, the cycle in my family is alcohol, drugs, and dropout. And, you know, then you become a criminal, so... They didn't become no criminal, not to my knowledge, but they all, they followed the cycle. You know, teenage pregnancy, high school dropout, drugs, alcohol. Hmm. So, you know.
2: They've been able to look to your example and say, you know, maybe there's a, a, a different path?
1: Um, no, nah, I just took my kids down a different path. We, my kids, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful they don't use drugs or smoke or drink or nothing like that. You know, they, they both—my two oldest—when both graduated, my daughter went off to college for a while, and um, I didn't have no serious problem with them. I just told them, "We're not gonna do this stuff. Y'all are not gonna make the mistakes I made in my life. You would not. I told my son a long time ago, you would not become what society say black men are. I'm mm. sorry, you would not be that. I said I would not allow you to be that. You would not drop out. You would not be committing no crimes. You would not be up here getting high. And I just told him we don't do that.
2: So what does he do now? What's what's he interested in?
1: My son works at um, he works at some bakery here. Got okay. a pretty good job. Yeah. I don't know what he do. He, he's some um, he cleaned those big machines at some bakery here.
0: Okay. So,
1: so he's, he got a baby now, and um, he's twenty eight. He's twenty eight this year. So he and his girlfriend lived, well, him and his fiance lived together, and so that's what he's
2: doing. Okay. And now when you finally decided to uh, get into comedy, it was still like, you you still didn't actually see it, Someone people still had to tell you that, um, and I think you said it was like a, a social worker or something that finally gave you the final nudge and said, you know, these are funny stories you're telling, and you had no idea you were being funny,
1: as a legend. Yeah, I was a caseworker. I went to the West office and uh, to recertify for my benefits and uh, I got to tell her these stories and it was a black lady and you know when I tell these stories people don't laugh but this lady could not I mean her eyes were pouring tears like rain and I'm sitting there like a dummy like what the hell are you laughing at and she was like girl you should be a comedian this stuff is hilarious and I was like this shit ain't funny (laughs) and then I started to pay attention to it I was like this shit is funny
0: so was I mean,
1: this case worker block off an hour or two hours just to talk to me, and she'd be in there crying, laughing. Imagine somebody laughing at you, and you got a straight face.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but how many times did you go in and and do that, and then realize, hey, you know, she's right. I'm going to go, you know down to the comedy club and we
1: just became i would go you know you had to go every six months back then yeah. so i would just keep going and she was my case worker and then she helped me you know get into other programs and we became friends like we still talk to this day i just talked to her this morning she's my godmom oh cool and um yeah so she just we just you know she she realized she was like why would defect give a 17 year old girl four kids Huh. Cause I think I was—I know I was—and I was 18
2: when they gave me four kids, and I already had two. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, what was it like the first time you went on stage? You just go on and just pretend like you were standing in the social worker office and just go from there and just tell those same stories.
1: No. No, it was scary as fuck. I told, I, I'll told never forget my first joke. My brother was, I call my brother, he used to break in houses, so he's like a fat cat burglar. <laughs> and so, that was the first joke I told about him, him breaking in people's houses and telling them to my, he the FBI, but he'll take their TV and run out the door. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so, I, I gotta order my daughter something real quick. Is that okay? Sure, go ahead. Just for Ready. Can I have two large fries and a large sweet tea? That'll be all. Not a problem. comes out to be for fun. Hello, I'm sorry. That's okay. She just woke up. Oh, okay. But oh. um she would just I mean, she would just laugh at me and then she encouraged me, she really did. She encouraged me to go and get on stage.
2: And so, how long was it before you were able to, um, you know, get some traction and start uh, making money at it?
1: Oh, it takes time to make money as a comedian child. Um, I just kept going to open mics, and I I still got my, my friend still got my first $50 that I ever made. Oh, neat. And um, I just um, just kept going. So, I didn't really, let me say this, I really did not start making money to about, Probably four years ago, three
2: four years ago. Okay, that was probably about the last time. I found time a you manager
1: said. in NFA, and this guy is great. My man, you know my manager John McDonald. He yep. really helped. Shape, he's help, he's helping shape my shape my career.
2: That's cool. Um, yeah. Who, who did you uh, start in Atlanta with? Because I know um, it's probably after like Kostaki and Reno Collier and those guys. Or but um. Like Andy Sanford or people like that. Who Who are other people that were kind of like in your classes? They say. I,
1: well, I was more. I was more on the urban scene. Okay. So, um, I uh, I guess you know I came around. The only person that's really famous now out of the thing I was I was after Chris Tucker, so Lil Duval. I mean, okay. he was kind yeah. of a new comic when I. You know who that is?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I've talked to him before.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, ain't nobody really been famous in the last, you know, in the last in the last few years. But uh, you know, he's the only one that's got some CD recognition.
2: I see. And then, how did you wind and,
1: uh, up? JB th- used to come through there a lot too, but he wasn't from Atlanta.
2: Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last Comic Standing uh, MC. Um, yeah. So, how did you end up in Indianapolis?
1: My husband worked at General Motors. We both worked at General Motors. He kept the job. I left.
0: Uh, okay. He
1: was. He, he had been. Th- he had been at General Motors for about ten years when we moved here because they closed in Atlanta.
2: Ah, uh, okay. I see. Now it all. Now it all comes together. Um. So, have you guys talked about moving out to California? Maybe with uh, things in your career moving in the right direction, or does he want to stay in Indianapolis?
1: My husband is not a. He's not a red carpet person. He's not a, you know, he just want to work and live his life as a normal person. Hmm. So if I would have to move, if something would come up, I would move. But my family will stay here.
2: Uh, okay. Okay. Well, the nice thing now, though, of course, is you can, uh, a lot of comedians uh, have left the coast and realized you, you can work and have a, a decent career and still be, get TV gigs and stuff, living, you know, in Indianapolis or Cincinnati or Chicago or uh, St. Louis or, you know, a lot of guys are, are heading to, so...
1: I've been here what ten years now. I've been in. I've been here, 10, yeah, ten years. So um, I've gotten more out of here than I did. I mean, if I was lived in LA, I just think it's your craft is what draws people to you. Not, yeah. real, I mean, you know. So I think the days of hey, you're the right place at the right time is over.
0: That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: To, to me, comedy is making a turn. Like. I can see comedy, comedy coming back to what it used to be, like with Richard Fry and Bill Cosby. You got to give people something to work with, just, just you falling all over the floor and being sexy and cute. I think huh. that stuff is beginning to play out.
2: Yeah. Um, so what kind of projects do you have coming up? Are you just concentrating on uh, touring right now, or do you have some things in the works?
1: I have a few things in the works. I mean, one that I can talk about now is I got a book coming out. Oh, cool. Uh, Point the spring and summer of of, of twenty sixteen through HarperCollins, and uh, you know, I got Last Coming Standing coming. I don't mean we're working on some other things too that I can't really talk about now.
0: That's, that's fine. That's yeah.
1: not concrete.
0: Yep.
2: Hold on. Uh, okay. So my wife is yelling for me now to go get the mail. Um, <laughs> um. Okay. Well, cool. <laughs> Um, well, I uh, appreciate you taking the time today. This was a uh, a lot of fun catching up. Um, hopefully, we'll get you down here in Cincinnati again sometime soon. I know you've been down here before, but um, we'll have get you down here again and uh, I'll come check you out. And um, uh, one other question I wanted to ask you though: what what kind of you know you have the book coming out, and you you know I know you have other projects going. But what kind of like be the ultimate thing you would like to do? Like maybe a movie about your life, because it's just it's just been so interesting and crazy. Or uh,
1: you know, I would love a movie about my life, and I would I would love to sit, you know, because I mean, people always talk about you. Like I, I have a lot of young fans from doing previous podcasts, like Rogan, okay. R and stuff like that. Yeah. And a lot of the kids are like, oh, you would be the, you will be the coolest mom. I don't <laughs> think my kids think I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think I think I would say the stuff that other moms could wouldn't say, oh, or yeah. wish they could say. Yeah. Like I
2: don't have a problem with saying I have a seventeen year old
1: daughter that I would like to up a cup every fucking day. <laughs> that's funny because like a mom in my community would never
2: say that. Yeah, well, yeah, because it's funny because a lot of comedians think, oh, you know, I could, I could have a go into for a sitcom. But your your backstory, I mean, really would be. I mean, that's 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 a slam dunk, as it were. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I would love for them to make a movie, but I would love to have a sitcom. Who knows? I didn't think I would have a book, but I do so. Cool. I'm just enjoying the ride. You know, I'm looking forward to uh, just doing what I do. There you go. You, know, I, you, you get focused on that other stuff, it'll kind of run you crazy.
2: Yes. Um, well, yeah, one thing at a time, I guess. Well, say hi to m- our friend Big Jim Lugers in, up there in Indianapolis. And like I said, we'll hope to see you in Cincinnati sometime soon, too. And this will be in City Pages uh, when you're in Minneapolis, uh, in print and online. So be sure to check it out. All right. Thank you, Dallas. Right, thanks, Ms. Pat. Bye.
0: Bye. on. Oh, 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 oh,
2: again, to Ms. Pat for being on the show. You can catch Ms. Pat at the All-Jane Comedy Festival in Portland, Oregon, October 15th through the 18th at the Strand Theater in Shelbyville, Indiana, Saturday, November 7th. Then it looks like she's off until January, uh, and then back there at Comedy on State in Madison, Wisconsin, January 7th through 9th. She may fill in some dates between then. Uh, who knows? Just go to MsPatComedy.com for all your Ms. Pat comedy needs. All right. So, um, we're going to skip the uh, usual credits here because uh, I've, it's been a very difficult week here. My iPhone died. It just up and died, and so I had to go buy a new one. I'm trying to restore it right now. In fact, I'm recording on the portable computer, Lizzie's old tablet, and uh, I'm trying to restore my iPod on the uh, on the desktop computer. It's a big mess, I can assure you. But um, we're going to get to the song of the week here. The song of the week is from No Carrier. I reviewed this EP for... Pop Culture Beast. Go check it out over there. It is a duo. Uh, they are Chris Wursig and Cynthia and I believe they're originally from Germany. and Now he lives in the Bay Area. She is back in Germany, but they're still making music. The, the CP has a couple of covers on it. It has four covers, actually, and then this uh, Celtic song called She Moved Through the Fair, which is going to be our, our song of the week. The covers are okay. Um, they, they did, uh, uh, for example, Boys of Summer, and it's, it's, you know, it's kind of eerie and creepy. If you like that kind of thing, uh i guess it's it works but it just i don't know it just wasn't uh it didn't move me but uh the last track on the five song ep is this song uh, she moved through the fair my wife really digs it and asked me who it was so i figured well that's a good enough recommendation to be song of the week so here is no carrier with your song of the week she moved through the fair pf's tape recorder so long and thanks for listening